God, that you fill Steve in his spirit with freedom this morning to bring your word. We have just sung, teach me your way, O Lord. May that be a real prayer for each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, indeed. Morning, all. Morning, all. I'm back. I wasn't here last week, was I? I was not skiving. I was uh, preaching at our church plant in Whitfield near Dover. We're New Church uh, down in Whitfield, little village of Whitfield. They're doing really well. They're great. They've been going for three or four years now. A little while before, uh, is that four years now maybe? Some, some time before everything else kicked off. And um, they've got a good crowd there. And uh, I don't know what a collective noun for Jameses is, but they've got a lot of Jims and Jameses. Is it a jam jar of Jameses or something? I don't know. But, but uh, a lot of them. But um, real calibre people who are new in the Lord and here, yeah, long in the tooth in the Lord. And, uh, but all just gunning for Jesus, a real love for where that God's called them and just seeking different ways just to reach out to the community around them. They're going through a bit of a transition leadership-wise for good, for good reason. Uh, so they're just experiencing some changes there, but they're weathering it well. And I had a great time with them, encouraging them in their witness for Jesus in, in evangelism and stuff like that. And uh, they're, doing, they're doing well. And you may hopefully see some of their faces at, uh, at RMC Sunday coming up next month when we all get together with everyone in our relational mission community over in Canterbury, it's going to be fun as well. I'll be away. Unfortunately, I'm going to miss it. But it'll be a great day just to mix with brothers and sisters from across East Kent and France and uh, to celebrate the Lord together. Uh, this morning, I'm going to preach on Luke chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles or your phones with you, Luke chapter 12, we're starting at verse 35. While you're looking, it's going to be about the subject of waiting. Oh, hello. That's nice. Um... Who likes waiting? Who likes waiting? No, Joe thought about it and he doesn't. Yeah. I turned up early to a restaurant once, way before the table had been booked, and the, and the manager was like, you're really early, do you mind waiting? I said, no, not at all. He said, lovely, can you take these drinks to table nine, please? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was about two seconds later. Yeah. But... Obviously, waiting, I'm talking about dwelling in expectation for something. Oh, that's what I mean by the word. It's, which is not something we all enjoy because, why? Because we want it now, don't we? If it's something nice, why do I have to wait for it? It's like when you're waiting for a friend to arrive, to arrive at your house. You get the house ready and you run, you run the hoover around and you put the kettle on and you, you, you fluff up the cushions, don't you? And then you start looking out the window because the time's arrived and they're not here yet. So you start looking out the window every few minutes. Who does that? Because that speeds it up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. That makes them arrive quicker. No, no, it doesn't. Sometimes, though, we can be waiting for something momentous, something joyous. And over time, when it doesn't come when we expect it, our stamina for it dwindles, doesn't it? Um, sometimes we can get caught up in other things, and our attention and our ability to remain vigilant for it uh, can seep away. And today's passage is exactly about this kind of waiting, about ensuring that we, we maintain expectancy and remain alert for Jesus' return. Uh, why should that matter, how we wait for Jesus? He's going to turn up when he turns up. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So why does it matter how we wait in the meantime? It doesn't change when it happens. Well, mainly because the Christian life is not something that we, 
we pick up at certain times of the week and then put back in the cupboard, is it? Even though we have all been or are all in danger of doing that sometimes, aren't we? But as time goes on, we can still get so stuck in the now, as important as it is, we can get so stuck in the now that it's to the detriment of really fully embracing what the future holds for us and living in the hope of that. And that's what this passage is going to be all about. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 onwards. We're going to read through to verse 48. Luke 35. Let's just read it through. And then we'll work through it in segments. Uh, Jesus is continuing talking to his disciples and he says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. (laughs) Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Hmm, lots in there. Uh, Let's work through this in segments. First of all, just the whole subject of being alert in the first place. Um, Right at the beginning, the beginning of this portion, we're going to look at verse 35 at the end. Stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning. We'll return to that. But then Jesus continues, Be like men who are uh, waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. I love that, at once. Literally, at once. When he knocks, at once the door's open to him. You know, you're watching someone ring the doorbell in a film or on a TV show. And literally, within about a second, they open the door to them, don't they? It's like they're in the hallway. What's all that about? It's, it's, never, it's never real. It's not like they're, they're in the toilet or they've got their hands deep in the washing up. Be there in a minute. They don't, do they? They're literally in the hallway. There's the, there's the actor waiting. They'll be here any minute. It's in the script. It's literally within a second. It's not real. But here, the way Jesus is describing it is a bit like that. It's not finishing what you're doing first. Get your dressing gown on or whatever it's going to be. Be there in a minute, shouting down the stairs. They're waiting to open the door. Literally, when the master comes and knocks, they're there opening the door at once. Always being ready. Always being alert. In the um, 
uh, 1830s, I think it was, early 1800s, there was a, a wealthy American newspaper publisher called James Gordon Bennett. And this guy, flipping neck, he had two lavish apartments in Paris. He had a yacht harboured in various places around Europe. And he had three homes in the US, even though he hadn't lived there for over 10 years. And the thing was, the servants in each of these places, they always needed to be prepared for him to turn up unannounced. Remember, this is a day with no phones, not, not just no mobile phones, no landline. He's on his way. They always, all the servants in all these places of residence had to be ready for his unannounced arrival at any, any minute. So the, the cellars were kept, uh, the wine cellars were kept um, stocked. Fires always roared in the grates. And they even turned the, uh, the, the uh, bedsheets down nightly just in case he was going to turn up. They were always ready to answer the door at once and everything's ready for him. And so Jesus, as he's talking to the disciples here, so for us in the church, as stewards of God's household, we can drop our guard, can't we? We, we, can, we can get so caught up in the now that we forget what's coming, waiting for the master's return. We can get so caught up in this. That those, the servants in the household, instead of being ready at once, they could, just be, they could be caught up in the housework, pretty laudable. It's part of their job, isn't it? Getting ready, getting the house spick and span and so on. But even in the church, stewarding the household and, and, and ensuring the church is healthy, we can get so distracted in that, as important as it is, if we can end up making it our primary thing, when our primary thing should be the master himself, who could return at any minute. Different. It doesn't dismiss the importance of looking after the church and making sure we're healthy. But actually, that can... Church can become our thing. People can, can not buy into, you know, I'm following Christ. They can buy into doing church, doing Christianity. That's not what it means to follow Christ at all. Or, I mean, these servants, they could get so caught up in gossiping about other households. Have you heard what happened at the Brown residence down the road? I found out how she got fired and what happened. You get so caught up in all that. And again, for us in the church... We need to ensure that whenever we discuss what is happening in other households, other churches, we just need to make sure that we are humble and we are loving and we are learning ourselves as we do so. doesn't mean you don't talk about it. Sometimes we need to learn and discuss things. But we need to do it humbly and lovingly and make sure we learn from it. But also that it doesn't become our focus. Oh, you see what happened down there? Our church is better than their church. No, for starters, it's not our church or their church. It's all his church. And what happens down there is between them and him. What happens here is between us and him. Just need to be careful how we discuss these things. Let's keep focused and not caught up in comparing ourselves with other churches and so on. But also, Jesus does say, uh, verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. There is the danger of actually just sleeping on the job. Sleeping on the job, which is something I'll come to in a little while, in a few more moments. We need to be vigilant because we don't know when he's coming. Because then Jesus carries on in verse 38 to verse 40. He describes um, about the masters coming home like a thief in the night. In verse 40, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In this whole picture about this master is at a wedding feast. And wedding feasts in those days, they could last for up to a week. And you don't know when the master's going to get all peopled out or too full up. Or he's had a few too many sherries. I need to go home and have a lie down now. He could turn up on day three. He could turn up on day seven. He could turn up daytime. He could turn up nighttime. You don't, literally don't know when he's going to come. Even verse 38. Um, 
Jesus says, if he, finds, if, he, if he, the master, comes in the second watch or in the third. The second and third watch of the night, they're, they're three-hour chunks of the night, is how they described it. This is right in deep night. Right in deep night, still expecting them to be alert when he turns up. Right in the middle of the night, that is when you're tired. <laughs> that's when you're vulnerable. That's when you drop your guard. That's when you can't even see properly. But he could just turn up. There's an important parallel here in uh, Luke chapter 22, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, there's a story, true life story, of the disciples with Jesus when he goes into the garden to pray just before his arrest. And there's the whole, events have been spiralling, the kind of the pressure cookers really starting to heat up now. It's all about to kick off for this big, momentous, life-changing, history-making weekend. And Jesus has gone into the garden to pray and he takes the disciples with him and then he draws to one side with three of them, Peter, James and John. He says, come with me and pray. And he goes, right, you pray here, I'm just going to be over here. And he keeps coming back and they've fallen asleep. And he goes away again and he comes back and they've fallen asleep. He's like, stay awake, stay awake. I need you to, I need you to pray. And they, keep, they can't keep their eyes open. Now, when you read that, the, that, that story in the book of Matthew and the book of Mark, just because they're slim on detail, they just say, say it how it was. There's minimal detail there. So therefore, it's very easy to assume that the, the disciples are being unreliable or they've got narcolepsy or, to be fair, they have just had a big meal. They've had this last supper, haven't they? But actually, there is a reason why they're falling asleep. In Luke 22, verse 45, it says, And when he rose from prayer, Jesus, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. They were exhausted from sorrow. You need to remember, events have been spiralling. Things have been pressuring and heating up. There's, a, there's been an emotional roller coaster and anger and animosity is building and Jesus is about to be arrested and put on trial. And Jesus himself is in anguish in this moment in the garden to the point where he'll end up perspiring blood. He's deep in anguish. Now, when I was... In the ambulance service, looking after patients in critical condition, some of them or their relatives were, rightly so, panicking. They were terrified. And my crewmate and I used to get very good at saying, you don't need to worry until you see us worrying. And then you try very hard to not let them see you worrying. <laughs> you get very good at putting on your game face and giving other people confidence in traumatic and deadly serious um, moments. And Jesus was and always remains the one to whom we can look um, for uh, when, when we need comfort in trauma. He's always the one to look to and rely on. And so imagine the disciples here seeing the Lord in such utter anguish. That, that's not to say he was in any less control of the situation. He staunchly fought that battle and he won. But nevertheless, the battle scars were already showing on his face. Literally to the point where he'll end up sweating blood. And so, naturally, the disciples, as a combination of the preceding events that have been running up to this moment and what was happening in the moment, they're unable to stay physically awake. I mean, it's, I, I get it as well. When things get heavy, events are getting on top of me or I've got big, important choices to make, my body's first reaction is, go to sleep. I get physically tired just from the emotional weight of it all, particularly the past two and a half years. I think for about two years, I've just wanted to sleep. 
It's, just, it's always there. It's this permanent jet lag. That's what, it, that's what it does to our bodies, to our spirits, doesn't it? And that's what's ha- happening to the disciples in the garden. And yet Jesus is encouraging them, encouraging them to fight this urge to sleep. Not because he holds all-night prayer as a, sign, as a marker of being very spiritual. That's not what he's saying here. It's simply because he wants the disciples to take this seriously as an emergency situation. Um, and to realize that it's a, a spiritual emergency situation as well. And he says to them, he says, rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. It's about dropping our guard again. See, he's, he's saying, this is not an act of physical security. Will you get up and keep alert because the people are coming to arrest me? I need you, I need you to keep a lookout. He's not talking about physical security. He's talking about spiritual security. It's an act of worship. So will you, will you, will you just take care and keep a lookout for spiritual attack? Rise and pray so you won't fall into temptation. And we, we are more easily tempted when we're tired, aren't we? Our guard is down. And we can be tempted to give up or to stray when we're emotionally drained, when life gets burdensome. And we all have different places we go between us when we're running on empty, places that are outright sinful or simply places that don't honour him as our ultimate source of life and goodness. Things that aren't wrong in of themselves, neutral. But if that's where we always run to to feel better, God's like, I'm over here, what are you doing? That's what we do sometimes, don't we? And Jesus is encouraging the disciples there and he's encouraging us when we're in the same place to stay alert and to pray. Because as we commune with him, we find sustenance, we find vigor, we find comfort, we find a renewed stamina, and we find the strength to resist what will otherwise draw us away from him. Always, therefore, ready for his return for our sake and for, for the others, for, for others around us as well. We encourage one another as we do so, don't we? This is about living between the now and the not yet. You've heard that phrase, the now and the not yet. And that's what enables the servants in Jesus' picture in Luke 12, to wait well. It's not looking at the present moment. You know, he's not here. It's getting on a bit. Third watch now. Still hasn't turned up. Maybe he's forgotten us. Maybe, maybe he got lost. Maybe he got waylaid. Maybe he's just decided not to come back. They could be thinking that instead. But these, these servants who are awake and ready to open the door straight away, they are not looking at the now. They're looking ahead to the fact that he will return. And we need to live with the future in mind. That's what we need to do as God's people. The present is important. We've got a job to do. There's a harvest out there that he's promised us of people who don't know him yet. We've got a job to do. But people who live for the now, for example, financially, people who just live for the now financially and just spend everything they've got, any disposable income gets blatted on whatever. They'll be all the poorer when they're older and unable to work. But those who put some, some aside for a pension, it's called living prospectively, they'll be in a very different position when that time comes. That living prospectively, it's the living in the now, but also for the not yet. It's bearing that future in mind. And so living prospectively, in the now, but for the not yet, has, it gives us a different heart posture when it comes to Jesus' return. Four, amongst many, four reasons why Jesus' return helps us as we live prospectively with that in mind. Firstly, knowing Jesus will return reminds us that every other remaining promise will come true too. There are plenty of, uh, there's plenty of promises in the Bible that still haven't come true yet. 
And knowing that he will return just helps seal the deal. He's coming back again. That means everything else he's promised us is also going to happen. We can rely on that and we can enjoy that. Knowing he'll come back again helps us remember every other promise will come true too. Knowing Jesus is coming back helps us, it reminds us that we've not been forgotten. And sometimes we can feel like that, can't we? Feel stuck in a corner. You don't feel his presence. Thankfully, it's not based on feelings. The truth is he's still there and he's still watching over us, but we don't always feel that, do we? Knowing he's going to come back means he's not forgotten us. He's coming back for a reason. Thirdly, knowing he'll come back at any moment gives us an urgency to share the good news. It's not on us to save people, it's on him to save people, but he asks us to partner with him. Let's get swept up in that. He won't return until every tribe and tongue has heard the good news of Jesus. So let's keep sharing it. That's a promise. That's a promise that we can lean on. But we don't know when he's coming back, so let's all the more get stuck into the job at hand until he does return. And then fourthly, knowing that day is coming reminds us that all injustice on this earth will one day face a reckoning. We've seen plenty of injustice recently, haven't we? There's plenty going on around the world. Knowing that Jesus will return reminds us that all injustice on this earth will one day receive a reckoning. We, have to, we can trust in that and we can rest in that. He's not lost control. And one day he's going to go, enough, and he's coming back. All of this gives us hope in all things. And because we don't know when he's coming, it just reinforces the sense of readiness that we need. Which is why Jesus, in verse 38 of the original passage, um, verse 39 But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. He's coming like a thief in the night. So Jesus uses this burglary analogy. If anyone knows when the thief's going to turn up, they're not going to leave their house unlocked. It doesn't happen, does it? Imagine having a phone call with a burglar, phones you up. What day are you popping out? Oh, I can't can't do Thursday, I've got the dentist. Uh, could, you, could you go shopping on Friday and I'll pop round and see if there's anything on your possessions that I can make a quick buck on eBay from. Is that all right? Yeah, not a problem. I'll pop out Friday. doesn't happen. Not unless you're into arranging a fraudulent insurance claim, I suppose. But thieves are inconvenient. Thieves are inconvenient. They interrupt. They cause havoc to our plans. And they are an unwelcome disruption, aren't they? A lot of people I know, well, thankfully, praise God, we've never been burgled. I know some people who have, and they say, it's not just the taking of the stuff, that someone's been in your private place. It's the invasion that they feel hurts more than the stuff being taken. Thieves interrupt, they cause havoc to our plans, and they are an unwelcome disruption. And Jesus is coming back when any of us least expect it, and he has every right to interrupt our routines and upset our plans. Of course he does. But also for many people on this planet, he'll be an unwelcome presence in their personal space. It's unfortunate, but it's true. But as his people, however, we should be ready and we should be welcoming the moment he comes back. He even says at the end of, um, uh, near the end of the book of Matthew, he says, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And people over the centuries have tried, haven't they? Every now and again it pops up in the paper, some crazy in America has decided it's all going to happen in 2027 and October the 12th or wherever it is. 
Well, the Mayans had a go, didn't they? About the end of the world. Um, one of my favourite stories is from 1806, where a domesticated hen in Leeds started laying eggs, inscribed on which, on each of these eggs, said, Christ is coming. And the locals, all oh my life, they kicked off. Absolutely. He's coming back. He's coming back. I've got to get my house in order. I'm not ready. Oh, not pro- not, am I a proper Christian? Am I saved? And they all started flocking to visit this prophetic hen and also began to despair of the coming judgment day. It's a true story. However, it's a true story. However, it was soon discovered that these eggs were not, in fact, prophetic eggs. But it was the work of the owner who had been getting these chickens' eggs and writing on them in corrosive ink, Christ is coming, and then reinserting them back into the chicken. Oh. Amazing. So, something for David and Margaret to consider. It will get you in the papers anyway, will not it? <laughs> Other people, more seriously, have calculated when Jesus is coming back. And it's, these are, some of them are Christians, or supposedly Christians. And when Jesus has made it quite clear, you won't know. And Jesus, even when he was on earth, he didn't know the day and time. He made a point of saying that. People are still trying to calculate when his return will be, sometimes to simple mockery, sometimes to fatal lengths when it becomes a cult. And people take their lives before him. It's awful. No one can or should predict Jesus' return. Which is why Paul repeats Jesus' language about the thief in the night. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says... This is what Paul says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 at the beginning. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light Children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Paul says, stay awake, be sober, and await that day. Don't be complacent. Keep on keeping on with the work at hand. Don't give up. And it's very easy, especially in a more comfortable society, just to put our feet up and just slack off, isn't it? Why? Let me just remind you of those... Reasons again. Knowing Jesus will return reminds us every other remaining promise will come true too. Knowing Jesus is coming back again reminds us we've not been forgotten. Knowing Jesus is coming back at a time when we don't know at any moment gives us an urgency in sharing the good news. Sometimes we need that little kick, don't we? And fourthly, knowing that day is coming reminds us that all injustice on this earth will one day face a reckoning. And all of that seeping through all of that is his grace time and time and time again there's a reason why he hasn't come back yet it's because of his grace there are plenty of times throughout history where god i would have rightly agreed with god that it's like enough and most days you think surely he's had enough now <laughs> do you know what i mean the reason he hasn't come back yet is still because of his grace he's given people more opportunity to meet with him that's his grace still seeps through all of it and then we see his grace all over this what jesus is saying in luke 12 because in verse 37 there's a lovely surprise to it because blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes truly i say to you he will dress himself for service 
and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. The master serving the servants. Ultimately, here is a story. The master returns to the tables, literally, uh, when he finds his good and faithful servants awake and alert and he serves them. We've, we've got a future feast coming. You look in the book of Revelation, there's a wedding banquet going on. And the whole point there is that not only will God prov- providing this great table of incredible delights, whatever that means, metaphorically or physically, but it also implies that he's the one who will do the dishing up, serving us with it. Isn't that incredible? Jesus himself. We're not awaiting a cruel master. We're awaiting one who is so gracious that he is willing despite being fundamentally at the top of the pile, to nevertheless serve us. Isn't that incredible? I mean, he's already done so in taking human form and in living the life that we couldn't live, struggling through that, facing temptation in every way, and then remaining sinless and going to the cross for us and carrying our brokenness on his shoulders. Not just 50, 60 people's, but billions of people's sin across the centuries, across the millennia, all on his shoulders in that moment, God himself. He's at the top of the pile, but he wants to serve us, and he's chosen to serve us, and he has served us, and he will continue to as well. Is that not enough just to stir us to wake up and smell the coffee of the God who we get to know and love and serve in return? What a glorious God he is, really. Which therefore brings us to the final section, where we need to remember who he's talking to, because... Elsewhere in the Gospels, we see Jesus warning humility in general. But he does have these warnings for the church too about complacency. And so Peter asks in verse 41, as Jesus is telling all this, Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Is this for us disciples, people who follow you? Is this for humility at large? And so Jesus goes on to describe, he continues to elaborate on the picture to make him realise this is about stewards of his household. He's talking about the church. So Jesus, he describes the, the kind of servant who is found reliable and responsible, but then he also goes on at great length to describe the one who, who isn't and what happens to him as well. He talks about a steward who's abusive and selfish and even getting drunk on the household's benefits and thinking he knows better. Now, in the church, that could be a, either a false teacher or just an outright sinful pastor, for example. But then... Jesus also describes in verse 47 and 48 the one who knew what he's doing and also the one who didn't know what he's doing but still doing the same thing. Jesus is describing the difference between those leaders who know what they're doing and those who don't. But those who don't are ignorant to it. While they're still mishandling God's household, there is some grace for those who are blind to their own faults and missteps. But it doesn't excuse it either. They'll receive a beating, just be lighter. (laughs) <laughs> there's some grace in that but he's still serious about how we manage the household so we all we, we need to stay close to Jesus we need to listen closely to Holy Spirit especially when he says what we don't want him to say still listen closely and we need to do this together we need to keep accountable and we need to invite safeguards please us elders speak to us elders if you feel the need if you need to come and speak to us don't have to do it alone bring someone with you but I'm hoping we're not scary enough that you can't. But if you're concerned, I understand that can then be scary. But please, come and speak to us. If you see something that needs speaking into, 
we should not be above being spoken to. Please, come and speak to us. Bob and David will invite exactly the same thing. We've told you, if we look like we're, God forbid we ever do, but if we look like we're closing ranks as an eldership and you, the body, are like, something's going on here, we're, not, we're concerned about this, speak to Martin Segal at City Church Canterbury. There's an open invite there. Please, we, we want to be safeguarded against our human weaknesses. We want to manage the household well for God's glory and for your, for your benefit, for our benefit. We want to do that well, don't we? But, so please, we invite you. If you're concerned, come and speak to us or find help to get that conversation going. We, we, we've got to do this well, haven't we? It's his church, not ours. Because, of course, it does go the other way as well. Verse 30, uh, 43, 44. Jesus describing servants that are reliable and are responsible. And some servants would become stewards of the household. And if they do that well, they're given more. And some stewards of the household would get to be the steward of the estate and so on. And we all get entrusted with different things within the church, but also in the world too. It's not just in the church. As God's people, we're stewards of his kingdom. Maybe you've been given responsibility in the workplace. A team, a a, a department, a school. (laughs) God gives us other responsibilities elsewhere. And these are places where his kingdom can come. And that's not to make you feel guilty about not trying hard enough. It's simply a good reason to not be complacent. Let's just carefully, humbly do this well with his help. Jesus' mission here on earth about helping others get closer to him. That's all it ever is. People getting closer to him. Evangelism, sharing sharing the good news with other people, is helping them get closer to him until they meet with him. That's all it is. And discipleship, as we call it, about helping people who have met with Jesus, helping them get closer to him. It's the same thing. Helping people get closer to him until they meet with him, and helping people to continue getting closer to him after they've met with him. It's, it's not rocket science. That's what we're here to do, together. But that does have life or death stakes, and he is coming at any moment. So let's just remain awake, let's remain aware, let's remain alert. And so, with all that in mind, let's just return to that very first sentence in verse 35, which I love. It, it, just, it just helps sum it all up. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Just be ready for what's ahead. Stay dressed for action. Can't get clearer than that. If you're going outside, you don't leave your pyjamas on, do you? Or if you're going rock climbing, you don't grab a wetsuit and a snorkel. You you dress ready for what's ahead and what you're stepping into. You dress appropriately. And even even in the Old Testament, um, for example... Tying your garment around your waist is a picture of constant readiness to move quickly. You see, for example, in 2 Kings, Elijah tells two different people on two different occasions, chapter 4, chapter 9, they've got a job to do and they've got to get somewhere quickly. He says, tie your garment around your waist. Tie your garment up. It's like be dressed, ready for action. Start getting your legs free so you can run. That's what he's saying to them. And our heart posture needs to be one of readiness, freeing our legs for running, to, get, to get, be ready to answer the door, to be ready to do the job. So just as we're finishing, perhaps if you just close your eyes. I'm just, I'm just going to invite Holy Spirit just to give us little nudges when we need it. But I just think, let's just, let me just ask a couple of questions. Just ask, what is keeping our legs from running? That being st- staying dressed for action. Just asking Holy Spirit just to help you 
What is keeping your legs from running? What's holding you back? What's likely to trip us up from answering that door quickly? When he returns or even beforehand when simply he's got a job for us to do. What can trip us up from doing that? What can hold us back? What can make us sluggish? Are we dressed ready for action? What's getting in the way of that? That's one thing. I'll just give it a moment and I've got one more question. What is keeping our legs from running? Then also relating, when I talk about being sluggish, and I was talking earlier about getting emotionally drained and that. When we're weary from sorrow, what's keeping us from praying? Just in this moment, just for a few seconds, just asking for help with that. When my guard is down, when I'm weary from sorrow, ask for his help to pray. We can all be there sometimes, can't we? And open your eyes. I'll leave you to have a chat with him during the week about that. But Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Let's encourage one another. Let's help Beacon Church to keep burning brightly in Herne Bay. Amen. Let's uh, be alert for the devil's ploys, different ways in which he'd love to dim our lamps, wouldn't he? And he does try. He does try, even recently. But remember, we've got a job to do. Keeping this house in good health ready for his return and letting that light shine brightly let's keep those lamps burning for the gospel may the church with like a house with the lights on in a dark world may we be shining brighter than ever for his glory for the benefit of others amen amen let me just pray for us lord we thank you that your bible is full of so many promises so many of which have come true And they remind us that all the rest will come true, including you coming back again. One day we will see you face to face. Lord, let us not just kind of rest on our laurels in the meantime and just wait for it to happen and let you do all the hard work. Well, while you do do that, Lord, you're inviting us in to be as involved as you've ordained us to be, Lord. Help us not to be lazy. Help us not to be distracted. Help us not to be complacent. Help us, to fix, help us to fix our eyes on you. On what's ahead. One day you'll return. And in the meantime, every morning you, you, you let us wake up. We've got another day of work ahead. Let us do that well for you, for your glory. Help us to remain awake and vigilant. With Holy Spirit's help. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. David.